This podcast features adults using adult language, but you know, you got to grow up sometime. Hey everyone, you know what it's time for? Swan's Crossing! not done the immersive Van Gogh experience yet. It's tomorrow, but uh, I am definitely going to do it while I'm stoned because it sounds fun to walk through a Van Gogh painting while you're high. I, I literally thought you were going to say, I've not done the Van Gogh experience yet, but I am high right now. <laughs> I mean, it would be a safe bet with me. <laughs> 8.30 in the morning on a Friday, <laughs> Libby's high. I felt a little bit high while I was watching certain parts of this episode. Oh my word. The thing that I love about the weird fever dreams in Swan's Crossing is that there's no warning. You don't get any like fade into it. You don't like you're just in a fever dream and it's up to you. It's on you to figure this out. Yeah, you gotta you gotta be on your toes, uh, as always. You know, you gotta be awake. You gotta be alert. You gotta grow up sometime, which is the name of our podcast. <laughs> and I'm Libby Grant. And you're, you're Libby Grant. <laughs> I'm Nathan Kessler Jeffrey. You're Nathan Nathan Kessler Jeffrey. <laughs> Let's introduce each other from now. <laughs> no, that's not. That's not. That's a terrible idea. It, it'll go fine. Mostly, but then somewhere around 56, 57, I will forget your name. <laughs> yeah, it's bound to happen at some point. Did you remember what you predicted for the last episode? I have no idea. It's been okay. so long. It has, and it's been a it has weeks. been. It's been a couple weeks. Let me refresh you on that point. You uh, you were very concerned about Neil by this point. You figured it was not Beric or Jazz who had kidnapped him. So you figured it has to be the Baldies or the FBI guys. Pretty yep. safe bet. Uh, we do actually find out what happens to Neil at the very end of the episode. So we'll get into that. You Do we? we? Do well, we? Well, we find Neil. You also predicted that Sandy would go to Owen's, would see Owen and Mila recording from a place where they couldn't see her and would get sad and walk away. Sadly, no. You predicted there would be no Muffy, but Sydney would try to get Garrett to destroy the birth certificate. We got a lot of Muffy and um, no mention of the birth certificate in this one. You thought that Glory would hear from Neil in some way, though it would not be a way we would expect, like maybe a note or Morse code or something. That did not happen. Nope. And um, finally, just to save you from this being a complete failure on your predictions, you predicted that Saja would still be at JT's when JT got back. And Saja is still at JT's. So I'm yep. giving you Saja. Is it Saja, though? Is it Saja? <laughs> is it Bobby? Is it Neil? Who knows? <laughs> no one knows, including the person formerly known as Saja himself. Also well, formerly we... known as Bobby and a lot of other things. <laughs> poor, poor Saja person. We open the morning after the dance in JT's bedroom, where his alarm is going off, which consists of flashing lights and shredding guitar music. 
and he is he is tumbling out of his hammock, screaming at at Neil uh, because Neil has been known to set off JT's alarm remotely. I I just I I would like to reiterate, a hammock is a terrible place for a teenage boy to sleep. It really is. You need some back support. You need a mattress. This is a like I'm sure. That when I was this age, this seemed really cool that this kid was sleeping in a hammock, but it is terrible. My 40-year-old body is like, no. Yeah. Also, I have been in summer camps as an adult, and I have walked into cabins occupied by teenage boys, and the stench is disgusting. Oh, yeah. So, like, you can't put sheets in a hammock. That gross teenage boy stink is just going to sink into the hammock itself. That's that's gross, Libby. Thank you for sharing that with both me and our listeners. Well, listen, anybody out there who has worked in a summer camp knows the smell. It haunts you. Yeah, anybody who's worked around teenage boys, as a former <laughs> teenage boy, woof. In fairness to all, all the men out there listening, let me point out, the girls' cabins smelled just as bad, if not worse. Oh, that's good. That's good. I feel good about yeah. that. Yeah. Um, camp girls have the worst foot stink you can ever imagine. Their shoes Ugh. are disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, on that note, he's he's yelling for Neil, but Neil isn't there. It's Saja who's sleeping on the floor in a sleeping bag. And also, it should be noted that a weird, like, Fisher-Price toy drum is on the ground behind Saja, as if maybe he was doing some shamanic trance drumming late into the night. I love that. Did not notice it. That's excellent. I only noticed that because I had that same toy drum when I was a little kid. Ah, Saja begins waxing philosophical about whether who he is. Could he be Neil? Could he be Bobby? Who is he? And JT is like, shut up, I need to go back to sleep. I have exactly the same phrasing in my notes. Waxing philosophical. Waxing philosophical. (laughs) There's no other way to put it. (laughs) No, that's exactly what's happening. Saja notes, the sun is rising. It is the lazy man who does not rise along (laughs) along with it. And then we get that, a very loud, vaguely Asian gong. (laughs) And also, I need to point out, outside the window, outside JT's bedroom window is just a a blue scrim for the sky. Like, it's just bright blue like it's midday. So supposedly the sun is rising because it's dawn, and yet it is clearly noon outside, which I love. Awesome. JT recalls that he set his alarm super early so he could get up to try to track Neil down, and then we cut to Mila's bedroom where she's rocking out super hard to a different recording of Talkin' Sweet as Honey. And dancing in front of the wall of her monitors as she watches herself on them. I, I love this moment because, as we all know, I love this song so much, first of all, but it is clearly a different vocalist. Like most of the original songs that uh, Richard Winsler and Steve Lane wrote for the show feature Kristen Mann singing the lead vocal part. She's the, the girl who plays Sandy. But this one has a totally different vocalist. So I assume this was like the demo that they recorded is like a test for the song. I don't know that. I'm just assuming. Anyway, it's kind of neat to hear it if you're like a fan of the show which hopefully everybody who's listening to this is. I'm not sure why else you would listen to the show. But uh, it's a fun little moment where you get to like peek into the production history of Swan's Crossing. I just, I want to bring out real quick here that I spoke to your husband last night who informed me that you have a certain obsession with the theme song to our show and he will not let you play it in the house. I don't have an obsession with it. That is not accurate information. 
It's just that I've watched Swan's Crossing so many times that mm-hmm. Paul has like overdosed on it and he can't stand the song anymore. So he like yeah. if, if it accidentally comes on like while I'm watching an episode, I have to skip over the credits because he'll be in the other room just going like ah. <laughs> Apologies to Richard Winsler and Steve Lane for the overuse of our theme song on a grump sometime from the hit show Swan's Crossing. <laughs> and apologies to my husband, Paul. Yeah. Uh, I love that you and Paul discussed this terrible podcast last night, though. Oh, we did. We did. Well, it was because I hadn't watched the episode yet, and I was I was at the theater, and I was about to go home and watch it, and Paul was there. <laughs> anyway. Um, so uh, the Countess comes in surprising mila and trying to figure out what's going on mila's been using her hairbrush as a microphone and immediately starts to brush her hair when she realizes that the countess is watching and it took me a a minute to figure out what was going on i think she's trying to hide the fact that she's singing i think she is too i think she doesn't want her mom to know that she's like into music now my notes say the countess comes in and she is as pink as mila's bedroom is yeah it is (laughs) difficult to actually to sort of see her against the back wall yeah truly her outfit is a flawless shade of pink that blends into the rest of mila's pink room um and she has tutu perched on her shoulder which is adorable i love that bird tutu moves several times throughout this scene (laughs) i was tracking tutu he does there is a lack of tutu continuity yeah, uh, Tutu, Tutu is enters on the Countess's shoulder, and the next time we see Tutu, it's on the back of, like, the love seat. And he's um, sleeping. He's so yeah. cute. We cut from them hugging over to Glory and Garrett in Garrett's bedroom. Glory notices that Garrett is in a much better mood. He pulls out the old Fabian shade and says that it's going to come in handy. And then we cut to Sydney. Oh, boy, do we. It's Sydney wandering through a dark, foggy landscape while lightning-like effects flicker around her and thunder booms. A hand extends from the fog, holding a magic wand. The wand taps Sydney on the head to the accompaniment of a triangle ping. I want to talk a little bit. Like, Harry Potter was not a thing at this point. So, the perception of wizards in popular culture had not really changed that much from like the the sword and the stone disneyfied wizards of yore and garrett is this wand has a big like shiny star at the end of it like a princess wand and you the camera cuts over to garrett who is dressed in the most stereotyped D&D Disney wizard costume i've ever seen in my life he has a big blue pointed hat with like glittery stars on it and a matching blue cape he's there with sandy and i really as a person who loves fantasy literature i'm offended <laughs> It's this is the this is the fantasy stereotype. This is a trope and I don't like it. It is a little on the offensive side. Um if you imagine, dear listeners, the way Mickey Mouse is dressed in the Sorcerer's Apprentice sequence from Fantasia, that's Garrett. He's dressed just like that. And furthermore, he hams it up like he's in a Christian educational video from the Satanic Panic area about the Satanic Panic era about the dangers of Dungeons and Dragons. Like he's swirling his cape around and scowling at Sydney in this really evil way. 
Yeah, we are not that far from the Satanic Panic era. Like this is this is just a few years after that whole thing was was at the height of its panickiness. I, I need to pause for just a second. My dog needs to be fed, and, yeah, and we will, she will continue to scratch things until she gets fed. Do it. Okay, this is not a joke. Our dog has become such a picky eater that we have to wait until she tells us she's ready to eat, heat up her wet food, mix it with her dry food, and set it in front of her. Wow, River. High maintenance, Mark. Jeez Louise. And she and she likes the expensive wet food. <laughs> of course she does. <laughs> she is a bougie bitch. Oh, it'll it'll change the way I see her forever. I've never had a dog who's been this picky about their food ever in my life. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Back to it. So Garrett turns to Sandy and addresses her as Sidney Rutledge, and he recites the following arcane ritual: Do you, Sidney Rutledge, promise to love, honor, and take advantage of all privileges given to the name of Rutledge? And Sandy says, "I do." And he turns around and bops Sydney on the head again. And her costume transforms into a very Sandy-like white overalls and plain white t-shirt. And Sydney looks over and sees that Sandy is now in her like black and white striped top. Yeah, like they have switched outfits with the tap of a of a wand and and Sydney starts freaking out and she yells in her New England accent, "There's been a horrible mistake! Horrible!" My favorite thing about that moment before we move on is that the director has obviously given her no place to look. <laughs> Looking around wildly like she's not talking to anyone in particular. And that is not that is not Sarah Michelle Geller's fault. That is that is 100% on the director. What are you oh, doing, yeah. sir? Yeah, totally. Um Sandy looks very smug and satisfied. She takes a look at this fancy like black and white striped outfit that she got by being transformed into Sydney Rutledge and she's like, ha, ha, ha. she has this like smug look on her face. Probably the most confident we're ever going to see Sandy in this series. <laughs> But of course it was all a dream because we then cut to Muffy waking Sydney up from her nightmare and Sydney is disoriented when she wakes up and calls her mother mayor instead of mother and then corrects corrects herself. We cut to the countess who's convinced she knows what's going on with Mila and is at the same time trying to shovel food into her. <laughs> um she asks about the party because Mila came in late. And this this is probably, this exchange in here is probably my favorite thing that happened in the episode. She's like, was your dance card filled? What exquisite man had the pleasure of monopolizing you? Owen. Owen? <laughs> we weren't dancing. What were you doing, Mila? She says, they were at his, they were, they weren't dancing. <laughs> they were at his studio. At this point, I'm utterly convinced that the Countess believes that Mila and Owen were stooping over at the the doorless studio set. For sure, yeah. <laughs> and and then Mila Mila says, "Can we talk about this later? I have things to do and calls to make." <laughs> and that's when I sent you the John Mulaney text of, of him going, "Say more right now." <laughs> 
It does definitely. This is another one of those moments where the writers clearly wrote this from an adult perspective and the, the subtext in the scene went over all the kids' heads for sure. But yeah. now watching it as an adult, you're like, oh, the Countess thinks Mila and Owen were boning down. Because the Countess kind of finally relents and is like, all right, Mila, you get to have your privacy. And she kind of starts to leave her bedroom and she's like, but you can talk to me about anything at all. Anything. <laughs> like She's obviously, obviously like, please talk to me about this before you get pregnant by Owen. <laughs> Yeah, seriously. <laughs> of all the people, Owen? <laughs> but as soon as her mom has left, Mila runs over and picks up her weird shoe phone. She calls Owen up because she can't stop thinking about Vision in Polka Dot Pink. <laughs> yep. <laughs> She's got another lyric for him. It's so, brace yourselves. Here it comes. You're a vision, I think, in Polka Dot Pink. Kill me. <laughs> oh the kill gosh. me part I added. <laughs> Yeah. Also, before we move on from this scene, we have to talk about the outfit Mila is wearing, which is insane. Yes! I had the same note! <laughs> this outfit is absurd. She's wearing, like, a jean skirt. Totally normal. Her top, however, like, if you had a tuxedo shirt with the with the ruffles in the front, not the ruffles, but you know what I'm talking about, the pleats or whatever those things are in the front. Right, yeah. Imagine that that has been replaced by, like, a denim button-down. But it's not just denim. If you look really closely, it's clearly the waistband of jeans that have been, <gasps> like, yeah, that have been, like, cut up and repurposed into the front of a tuxedo shirt. Because, like, on one side, there's the little sort of leathery tag that would say, like, Levi Strauss. You can see it. I'm like, what is this? Who made this outfit? Here's the thing, though. She looks great in it. She does. I mean, Brittany Daniel can wear a potato sack and look great in it. Like, she yeah. looks great in it. And it also um, has very voluminous and very sheer long sleeves. So it's just like, yes. even for the early 90s, it was whack. Like, this is a crazy outfit. So, yeah. Voluminous. Good word person word. Thank you. Uh, we, cut well to J <laughs> we cut to JT's room. Where he's on the phone with Mrs. Atwater, who's chewing him out again. And JT tries to play it off like Neil is sleeping over at his house, but he's sound asleep and he can't wake him up because you know Neil is such a sound sleeper. He finally manages to put Mrs. Atwater off enough that he can hang up the phone. Saja sits down at the computer. JT tries to explain what's going on, but just kind of gives up, which <laughs> made me think, well, there's no reason for this scene. And I was right. Uh, because pretty much nothing happens in the rest of this scene. Saja hits some buttons on the computer. JT gets mad at him. Saja tries to get JT to explain why Neil is, why JT is so upset. And he talks about how when they were in fourth grade, they, they were all doing go-karts and he and Neil were trying to do a solar powered go-kart. But this thing that they're working on now is like way bigger than that. And he will not give Saja any details, no matter how much Saja tries to pull it out of him. Yeah. And, and then right at the end of the scene, Saja's like, ooh, I, I know how to help you with your problem. And then we cut away, like right there. So we're left hanging on what Saja's great solution is. We will get back to it later, though. And boy, is it ever great. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it's, it's great. It's great. I mean, it is the kind of solution that is so great. I'm really not surprised he didn't think of it last night when they were looking for Neil. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we cut to commercial. We cut back to to Muffy getting city ready for her important meeting. She's the chairperson of the concert stage committee, and the meeting is happening at the Swans Club. Sydney is a pretty like pretty much a regular space cadet through this whole thing until Muffy says. You really don't take after me. And Sydney spins around and goes, I don't? Yeah, like that snaps her out of it. And yep. Muffy reminds her that today is the first day of the rest of her life, and then leaves, which only causes Sydney to give herself a stare in the mirror. And I kind of regret not putting this one into the Sydney stare compilation. It's not very long, though. It's not. It's not long, it's but it, it's very dramatic, though. It is very dramatic. Uh, we cut to Gloria and Garrett, and uh, as Garrett is putting up the Fabian shade in the window again, Gloria's questioning because she thought things were over with him and Sydney. <laughs> Garrett's response is, maybe I like looking at shades. <laughs> Who wrote this? <laughs> Jeez Louise. Anyway... Uh, she, uh, Glory puts on some earrings and then as, as like the camera follows her, those pants are loud. The outfits in this episode are something else. Like verging on neon loud. And it should be noted, neon weird, like pinkish pants combined with this like terracotta neutral top. I was just like, who... Who was doing wardrobe today? Somebody was like, oh, we're only going to see her from the waist up. Glory mentions that she has to head out because she's going to the stage committee meeting. And she asks Garrett what he's planning on doing. He reminds her that he's grounded, so he'll be at home. But he says, I'll be flying high real soon. Which definitely sounds like he's going to smoke weed. Yeah, definitely going to just blaze in Glory's room, like staring at the Fabian shade. He's going to hotbox Glory's room. (laughs) Sandy comes to Mila uh, in her room. And I just, I would like to reiterate that the thing that I like about Mila's room is there are defined entrances and exits. Even if one of those entrances is an elevator. That's fine. That's fine. At least we know where they're coming from. Can we talk about Sandy's outfit? Yes, the outfits. My God. (laughs) So... Sandy is wearing kind of like a, a little knit crop top black on top with sort of white embroidery and then like black kind of what like yoga pants type things. But from descending from the crop top is this sheer black skirt <laughs> that goes like all the way down to her knees. It's like a boob skirt that you can see through. That's yeah, it's so- like an empire waisted sheer skirt. It's so weird. <laughs> Again, oh. who did wardrobe today? It was so slapdash and bizarre. It, it truly was. Truly was. Um, and then we, so Mila, or Sandy is obviously here to talk to Mila about how Mila's like honing in on her, uh, her Owen territory. Um, but then she chickens out, changes the subject and asks what Mila is writing in. And it's her, um, it's a lyric book. It's it's the first version of uh, Vision and Polka Dot Pink. I love that it needs an entire like journal for Vision and Polka Dot Pink. Jeez Louise, she's uh, working it up that hard. <laughs> I have I have in my notes when when Mila mentions Vision and Polka Dot Pink, my notes say Sandy makes a very special face. <laughs> she does. By the way, this is a great time for me to bring up my next compilation video is a compilation of all the times Sandy is sick of people's shit. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That's what I need. 
I need that in my life. Uh, also, um, when she comes in in this scene and she starts talking to Mila, I just have to go back to this for a second because the way she delivers this oh, line. Hang on, again. hang on a second. Hang on. My the... squeaky dog toy. <laughs> what's gonna happen now though that i've taken away her squeaky dog toy is that she's going to bark at me until i give her, her squeaky dog toy back i mean that's fine honestly it can't make the audio for our show any worse <laughs> so. that's true i actually have a suspicion that using this mic that i have at home is going to be better than the mic that i have in my office that so we'll see what happens fine. Um, so when Sandy first comes in and first kind of broaches the subject with Mila, she, the way she says it again makes it sound like Mila and Owen were fucking. Because she goes, oh, yeah. La- last night, I know you and Owen were working together. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they were. <laughs> Yikes. But anyway, um, Mila's so ecstatic about working on this terrible song she's writing and um, she starts to go into how, how much it means to her to be able to write songs and to work on music because her mom's not involved and she loves having something that's totally hers. If she tell, She's worried that if she tells her mom, it won't be hers anymore. And knowing the Countess, I actually think that's very sensible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely. I think Mila's got this figured out here. Sandy can kind of sympathizes her with her a little bit and she promises that she's not going to tell anyone about Mila's secret songwriting. And then Mila's like, well, what did you want to talk to me about? And Sandy's like, oh, it's nothing. Uh, Yeah, Sandy chickens out again. Sandy, come on. Like, she gets so close to having a spine and then she stops. The title of this show should be Sandy Chickens Out. (laughs) Should be. We cut to Callie on the submarine with Captain Walker. We haven't seen him in ages. We got lots of grown-up action in this in this episode we did the gronies are all out today um oh yeah gosh. callie is being super sad over dumb jimmy and her dad's trying to cheer her up and yep. she asks her dad if he thinks she's pretty and he says i think you are the most beautiful creature i have ever seen without fins that is <laughs> thanks dad callie takes it as it's intended though she knows her dad so it's kind of a cute moment um, and then she admits that she thinks she likes someone more than he likes her. Oh, and it's, it's it is really cute. Her dad's like, oh, and he gives her a hug, and he's like, I know it sucks. He like this is I actually this next line is I wrote it down verbatim because you'll see why. You wish he, he this is Captain Walker's line. You wish he'd like you more, but you can't build your life wishing that other people would do what you wish they would. <laughs> Fuck, that's a poorly poorly constructed line. No one edited this script. They were just like, fine, whatever. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Alarm whistle, like a boat alarm whistle sound goes off. It's their phone. This is the first phone in the submarine that we've seen. It is built of like pipes and valves, people. It's so good. There are like, except for Sydney's weird brick cell phone, which was a normal phone for the time, but is now a distinctly abnormal phone. There are no normal phones in this entire show. Like, everyone's it's, phone is weird. Yep, including the one at Swan's Cafe, which is in the shape of a swan. Yeah, I, I don't weird. know what the set people had against actual phones, but, you know. Well, I, I guess uh, Glory has a normal, like, princess phone. But anyway, mm. uh, Callie talks on the weird pipe phone. It's Saja calling. Here is his great plan for finding Neil. He asks Callie if she were trying to find someone... Where would be the first place she would look? And Callie says, wherever the person was last seen. That's it. That's the plan. Ask Callie. And Callie says, 
where you last saw the person. <laughs> Good plans, Gaja. These children. Here's the thing. Sally, or Callie, our, our queen, uh, is right, is the great thing about this. Callie's always right. Come on. Callie's always right. So uh, she does ask uh, Saja, though, if he's looking for Jimmy or for his sister. And Saja says, no, he hasn't seen either one of them since the dance, which makes Callie stare in horror. Yeah, because you know that those two were working together last night. They were working together last night, and then Callie caught Jimmy having a Bugsy Malone threesome with Sandy and Nancy. So Callie's had a rough night. You know, yeah. Uh, he says they're looking for Neil. Callie basically just says bye and hangs up. And then she picks up some mail on the little console table thingy and asks her asks her dad what those letters are. And Captain Walker's very dismissive and abrupt about it. He's like, I don't know. He's he's been avoiding invitations from the other families of the town. Uh, he he says certain nets I've learned to avoid. Life with the fishies. That's for me. And we pull back to see he's been working on an aquarium inside the submarine. And we get a random close-up of a goldfish in the tank. I love that he has an aquarium inside a submarine. It's like fishception. Right? <laughs> yep. I mean, why wouldn't we? Uh, we cut over to JT and Saja leaving JT's room. And JT says they're going to have to find Neil or he's going to have to alert the gronies. This scene did nothing except get them out of that room. Literally, that's it. It it is approximately four seconds long, (laughs) and that's that's it. Yep. Uh, We cut Uh, to commercial, and when we come back, the stage committee is meeting uh, at a table beside the pool, and Mila says, Uncle Bobby, the producer, would provide any main band they want, but she thought it would be better to put the spotlight on local talent, so she's recommending Sandy and Owen as the headliners. Like, Uncle Bobby can get them fucking U2 to come play. <laughs> I, I, I went and looked up popular bands in 1992. <laughs> they could have had Def Leppard, TLC, Criss Cross, or Tori Amos doing <gasps> Smells Like Teen Spirit. Oh my God, they could have. They could have had Nirvana. Oh, come anyone, on. Anyone, anyone. And they're going with Owen and Sandy. <laughs> I am offended on behalf of the citizenry of Swan's Crossing. This stage committee is shit. Yeah. Well, this is what happens when you put a bunch of dumb teenagers in charge of something like this. That's right. That's right. (laughs) The committee talks about how construction is coming along, and it turns out the stage is going to rotate, apparently. So that's kind of fun. Yep. Yep. Okay, here's the thing. Uh, They're having to reinforce for the larger speakers, and they're putting in a revolve. Um, when did Mila get put in charge of construction? I don't know. I mean, I think Sydney's main talent in life is delegating. <laughs> so, oh, 100%. She's just telling other people to do stuff. I mean, that's kind of what yeah. the upper class does, isn't it? Sydney <laughs> C- delegates and makes Sandy feel like shit. That's those are Sydney's two main functions. It's really a perfect microcosm of larger social dynamics in America right there. Sandy notices that Sydney is humming her song. Sydney seems a bit freaked out by this. I know, I Callie, love Sydney's reaction is like, ooh, I did a Sandy thing. <laughs> I did a Sandy. Can we make that become a thing? Is there any way of getting doing a Sandy to become a thing? Kelly shows up at the meeting and everyone's delighted to see her. And she's like, yeah, well, I've been spending too much time at the Tool and Die, so I'm going to hang out with you guys for a while. 
And uh, Mila mentions to Sandy, another good thing about writing a song is the writer gets to sing it. And Sandy freaks out. Obviously, Mila wants to sing at the concert, which, uh, you know, Sandy really should have seen coming as Mila is organizing the music. Mila, to her credit, notices that Sandy is freaking out and asks what's going on. And Sandy says, your your shoes are too tight. And I was like, Sandy, (laughs) stand up for yourself. I know, come on, Sandy, come on, she's getting so close, and then she keeps backing off. Yeah. So, uh, Glory says she found some volunteers to paint the stage, but they just have to find a benefactor to pay for the paint, and then Sydney's like, oh, I, I thought everyone knew that my family's going to underwrite it, so Sandy's like, oh, you're so lucky, your family always knows how to start things off on the right foot, and Sydney gets a thousand yard stare and doom music plays, and then she asks- As she's- as she stares at Sandy's swan birthmark. <laughs> and then Sydney uh, asks her to finish taking notes and she gets up and runs off like she's got diarrhea. Uh, we cut to the Countess beating on the ladder of the, the submarine with the butt of her umbrella. Captain Walker is shouting from inside, no one is home, Countess. <laughs> That's very convincing. It's really selling that. Then he, he pops up out of the hatch to yell at her some more. And he admits that he is indeed avoiding her. So there's clearly like old beef here, but we don't get yes. into it. We cut to yeah. Sydney's bedroom where Muffy is lurking. Sorry, one second. River, I need you to stop. Normally, you're with your mother when we do this. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so we cut to Muffy and Sydney in Sydney's bedroom. Uh, Muffy's there even though she should have been in the office and she's placed a gift on Sydney's bed. And then... She says she's got some disturbing news. And he like instantly freaks out and she's like, it's not true. And Muffy she understandably is like, what is wrong with you? Here's the funny thing that it's just, it's not disturbing news for them. It's disturbing news for Grant Booth, which is not the way that one normally phrases the news that you got news. Right. Right? If it's disturbing news for someone that you hate, that's not disturbing news. Right, that would actually probably be good news. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway. The disturbing news is that Muffy is ahead in the polls. Yeah. And there apparently there are polls in the mayoral race in this tiny town. But how many voters are even going to like turn out for this election? Like 10 people? Sorry. Come on. One, one second. One second. River, you're drunk. You're drunk. That's how we tell her to go to her kennel. <laughs> go home, you're drunk. We have like five more minutes of recording. I'm not going to, like she's scratching on everything. I think she wants fed again, <laughs> oh, which is great dude, because we like, we like it when she eats. Yeah. She's like, the my food was not hot right? enough. Try it again, human. <laughs> Muffy and Sydney embrace. It's a nice hug. And then over Muffy's shoulder, Sydney spots the Fabian shade through the window and she glares at it while dramatic music plays. And we zoom in on Fabian's big dumb face. It's so funny to me the way that they have filmed this because it's not like we see the shade through Sydney's window. They cut to a shade outside of Glory's bedroom. It's really bad. (laughs) Yeah. Cut to Garrett just making eyes at Fabian from the inside of the room like he wants to fuck him. Garrett's high at this point. (laughs) He's stoned. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Cut to the committee. Uh, Glory's just gone over 23 choices of blue. 
And they're about to discuss bunting when Callie asks how long, how they can end the meeting. So since Sydney has disappeared, they have Sandy bang the gavel to end the meeting properly like Sydney does. Um, Sandy does do it, but she like hits the gavel sideways on, like instead yeah. of you know, hammering it down, she just kind of thunks it down sideways. And then she's like, eh, that felt weird. It's like, yeah, cause you did it weird. Glory notes that Sydney's never let anyone take her place before at, at the head of the meeting. Uh, JT and Saja suddenly arrive and there is so much hubbub as they look for Neil. The audio is just horrible. The audio is worse than our audio is. They're rifling around, like just sliding things, bumping into things, and you can hear it all. They're pulling back the curtains on all the cabanas. They finally get to one cabana and there is Neil inside the cabana asleep. Now I want to I want to unequivocally state unequivocally 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 state that it has been established there are no curtains between these cabanas. When JT and Glory were in the cabanas last night, if JT if Neil had been in there, they would have seen him. It's not just tutu continuity problems in this one. It's also cabana continuity problems. I want it noted that there is a vast cabana conspiracy in Swan's Crossing. Anyway, Neil wakes up and smiles dopely and asks if the party's over and freeze roll credits. There is very sinister music that plays. As the credits roll. Indeed there is. So, who was our psychopath of the week? Ah, uh, that's that's a tough one. That's I know, because like, no one's super psychopathic in this episode. Yeah. I, you know what? Actually, I, I gotta go with Countess and oh, her okay. like controlling... She's actually, at one point during the episode, cutting Mila's food. That's true. She is trying to like feed Mila as if she is a toddler instead of... Yeah. 15 year old girl yeah <laughs> it's a little weird <laughs> mm-hmm. do you have so. a swan count for us we had three uh fake swans do we want to count the Lita, even though we don't see the, the the title of the ship i think we only count it if we see the name excellent uh in that case we are now at three imaginary swans 24 actual swans and 83 other swans excellent and Lay your predictions on me. Woof. Okay. Um, so I don't think anything happens politically in the next episode. I really, you know what I would really love is, is a version of Swan's Crossing that is the West Wing. And it's just all local, like low stakes politics. <laughs> Neil believes that he just fell asleep or there's something weird about the way that Neil disappeared. I'm not sure if Neil knows that he disappeared or what happened there, but um, something's going on. Sydney gets out of the house to go meet Garrett. And that's when she begs and pleads with him to get rid of the birth certificate. And Callie and Jimmy meet back up at the tool and die. And they have an awkward, they have, they have like an awkward conversation, but there's none of the weird flirtiness that's been happening between the two of them. Uh, because Callie feels pretty hurt and betrayed by all of the flirting that Jimmy's been doing with other people. Jimmy, I think, is actually into Callie and is trying to figure out how to do that, but is put off by Callie's rebuffing of his advances. Now that Neil is back, they have to figure out how to like smooth things over with Mrs. Atwater so that they don't lose their funding. 
Okay, excellent. Well, we will get into all of that next week when we explore episode 29 of Swan's Crossing uh, with all of its drama and insanity. Um, let me take a quick look. Hang on one second. I'm going to see how many more episodes we have left in this season. Oh, yeah. We have episode 29 and then episode 30 will be the closer for uh, season three here. And then we're going to take a break over uh, episode 30 will come out on Christmas Day, our little present to all of you. And then we will not have uh, episodes again. We're going to have a nice long break over the new year so that me, uh, so that Nathan and I can catch up on our recording. And then we'll come back on um, February 12th with uh, episode four. So that will be good times. Okay. Thank you to Richard Winsler and Steve Lane for the use of our theme song, Gotta Grow Up Sometime, from the hit show Swan's Crossing. And if you want to find us on social media, we are on Twitter at Gotta Grow Up Pod and on Instagram at Swan's Cross Pod, where you can see the stupid compilation videos I've been making. <laughs> They're lots of fun. And uh, until next week, my friends, may all of your outfits be sheer, voluminous, and inexplicably made of denim. <laughs> Bye. Bye. promise to love honor and to take advantage of all privileges given to the name of Rutledge I do no please would anybody listen to me there's been a horrible mistake horrible <laughs>